Okay, I will try to say why compare typology of female citizenship in MENA I will present. I will talk uh, a short time about economic and legal aspects related with reform. I will do some tentative comparison, pairwise most similar cases, because I, start, uh, I choose Egypt and Morocco for Maghrib, I choose uh, uh, Lebanon, Syria for Mashriq, and I, 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 I choose uh, Kuwait and Qatar for, for, the, for the Khalij. And if I have time, I will do some conclusions on post-2011. Uh, now, my theoretical analytical perspective on reform is really reform through parliament. I'm a political scientist. I know very little about law. I had to learn it the hard way. I didn't do courses. I had to do individual courses at home, reading. Um, and uh, I, will, I go through family law, through, research, uh, through theories on citizenship. And Suad Joseph, which actually will be my opponent this year, she's coming to Oslo to be my opponent at the defense. I'm very glad for that too, mm. because she was my door opener for family law, because her book on citizenship and, uh, and uh, gender in the Middle East, you know, when I read it, was it everything is about family law. What is family law? I, I was curious, and she was the door opener too. So, so this is why I always deal with family, cit female citizenship, fem family law through female citizenship. These two for me are important. And when I say, say that Arab female citizens are not part of the demos, demos is the Greek word for, for people. And democracy comes from that word. Because, but in political science, we are so focused on kratos, which means governance. We forget that you govern the people. And the people have two sexes, you know, female and males. And my argument in the PhD is that women in MENA are really not part of the demos. They are part of the polity, not the state even, because we have many stateless. But they are part of the polity, but they are not part of the demos, which is a smaller ring. And they don't share equal civil political rights with males, which makes them an excluded part of the demos. And, and I focus on religious law. I, I'm not into Islamic jurisprudence. So it, because I deal with multi-religious states, I have to do, understand religious law in general. And the framework is I want to do more stuff on looking at economy, economic pressures. Because if you remember, Laurie Brand did a book, an excellent book 15 years ago on political liberalization. And she took economic liberalization as a fact, as, 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 as you know, something given. I will do the uh, other way around. I will use political liberalization as a given. I will focus on economic liberalization and see the impact of economy, economy on legal reforms. So this is, I want to do that. And I don't know how to do it, I will try. <laughs> Why compare? It is because comparison, what appears at first sight to be odd, becomes familiar. And what looks familiar becomes less obvious and more fascinating. This is a Norwegian political sociologist called Stein Rockan, who I use in my PhD as the theoretical, methodological, and analytical perspective. And I will use him. And this is, a, this is just to show my ignorance, my personal ignorance, because I did not know that English was the language, uh, sorry, French was the language in the courts in England until. Does anybody know 1360? I was like, what? I only learned that only, you know, like two months ago. And if you see here, this is in Salisbury, taken in Easter, my colleague. Dieu et mon droit, which means God and my right. And, you know, like I laughed at him. I say, Jackie, this is, maybe it's in Sharia. It is Dieu et mon droit, which means 
God is my law. I mean, this means, I, I really, I think this is interesting to see that law uh, was in French in England until 1360. You know, this is very strange for an Arab, but I'm, I'm sure it's not strange for English people. <laughs> but for me, it was very strange. In general, personal status law in the Maghrib is more progressive than in the Mashriq. This is something which uh, the Human uh, Development Report uh, the, towards the rise of women sort of uh, said. Uh, and I was, yeah, why, why is that so? Why is it more progressive? So this is, this is you know, the start of my interest into looking at what are the social forces that impinge on female citizenship in general and family law reform in particular in MENA? How and why do some persons for reform succeed while others fail in parliament? And third, how can we conceive of patterns, of variances, this is the sort of focus I, uh, I focus upon, in the three sub-regions which impinge on reform. And I mean, this is the table I have looked upon. And I differentiate between two basic things, which are, for me, uh, uh, different. This is the individually-based citizenship rights. You know, Morocco before 19, uh, 2004 was here. It was group-based. What I mean by individually based citizenship is that it is a relationship between a citizen and a direct relationship with a state. I mean, theoretically, it is like that. In practice, it's not. But this is the theory. Now here is the typology on theory. In Morocco, it changed. For me, this is very big, really big, that this changed in 2003. And although it is not very, you know, it's, it's the best we have. It's really the best we have. Sorry. It's like, so, so this is, uh, this, it happened in Turkey first, of, co of course, Tunisia second. We had this extremely interesting experience in South uh, Yemen, and now we have Morocco. So Morocco is sort of the, you know, the, the, the it's, it's showing away. Look to Morocco. And, and, and I put question marks on other places, you know, Iraq, where do I put Iraq? I put the, in blue the non-Arab uh, non speaking uh, big uh, states, Israel, Turkey, and Iran, which fit differently. And then we have, uh, um, yeah. So this is, this, is the, this is the typology I work upon. The sphere of economy, I will, s I will not talk so much about it, but I will tell you that economy is important for politics. I mean, economy changes things. Economy changes, it pressures the state to think differently. And I will show you only two very interesting, um, uh, uh, two, two very interesting economic, what you would call indicators. If you see this uh, woman in non-agricultural wage labor, can you see that Morocco has the highest number? This is from 2011. It has 21% women working in non agrarian sector. Second in place is Egypt, it is 19. This is the highest in the Middle East. And then we have Syria, 16% working in non-agricultural agrarian uh, uh, sector. And the numbers for Kuwait and Qatar, I think, is not so good because they include non-citizen females. Mm -hmm. So I take them, you know, I don't take them seriously. This is interesting because where do we have the, the best legal framework for reform? This is Morocco. And I think Val Mogaddam has something. She says that it is women working in the public sector who are demanding more economic rights because they are the ones who feel it most. 
it's not the women who have to, to work in the fields from day to day to meet their needs. It is the women who have high education, who work in the service sector, who work in public offices, and who are organizing themselves. And I think she has a point. And I think these, these numbers really show it. Number two, which I think very interesting, look here. The number of unemployed youth female is, uh, is, is uh, what you call it, lower than the unemployed youth male. This means that more young women in Morocco are employed than men. Can we see that? Not so in Egypt, not so in Syria. Huh. In Lebanon, many young women, this is uh, from 15 to 24, are employed. There is very low unemployment about young, young women. They are competing for jobs after, when they reach 24, when they start having children, when they start establishing families. I think these numbers are very interesting from a social scientist perspective, because they are the ones who will say, huh, why is my brother going to have the rights when I have the same education and have the same you know, opportunity, have the same kind of mind? I won't demand my rights. I think this is extremely interesting to see such, such numbers and look at the societal forces that are pushing for reform to give women their rights. So this is why I think economy is important. And <clears throat> what I, when, I, when I look at the sphere of law, I look at the most mode of institutionalization of the court system, which I wrote an article where I compare states with dual courts, which is Syria and Lebanon, and states with unitary courts. And, you know, it's very easy to see that women in states with unitary courts get more rights than, than in women in dual courts, because in dual courts you have the religious clergy who are and pre present very conservative uh, uh, interpretations of family law. And the interesting thing with the Khalij is, of course, that Kuwait has had a unitary system for a long time. And Qatar has just recently merged the two courts. So this, for comparative reasons, is very interesting. Half You're five halfway minutes? through. Five? Ten. Ten. You're halfway through. OK, good. At least Thank I hope you. you are. So I will just drink more. <laughs> drink. OK. So, so this, is why, this is why I do this comparison. So this is what I'm, I just said, the unity court system. Well, this is found in Egypt, Morocco, dual court system, and the Khalij. Yeah, this is what I... But this is really interesting. They have the dual courts in Kuwait, which have been merged. But, I don't know, you can help me after. They have, in the, in the civil court in Qatar today, they have, uh, they have um, the, the religious judges who are dealing with civil law. And this is really extremely interesting. I don't know, I keep it for you legal people to talk. But for me, as a political scientist, I find it very interesting uh, to, that they are dealing with civil law and they are not really trained in civil law. So what, what happens? It's interesting to do, uh, to, do, um, to do research, I think. OK, I will have to step here and put in this one. Um, oh. This is the way I work now. I put, like, I put here. Um, uh, like citizen, I look at the citizenship regime uh, and uh, put for each state uh, under each sub-region. 
This is tentative, huh? It's, I have not finished. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do more on. And so I look at court system, family law codified, I look when it is, and, and this is how you do comparative work, or I'm trying to do. And interesting, you know, you see, when were, was CEDAW signed? Again, it's economic interest which pushes the states to sign. If you really see when they sign, why they sign, it's because they want to show off for the rest of the world. Huh? They want to be part of the rest of the world. Qatar, you know, 2009. We're having a world championship in football in 20 years. We have to do something to show that we are, you know, part of the world. Not only sports and in uh, architecture and in, 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 uh, in, in fabulous architecture, by the way. Uh, so, so, uh, so, and, and also uh, we have to look at, uh, at strength of religious authority. I mean, in Morocco, it is law, it is explicit and public. We have an Islamist opposition, but it is co-opted uh, and marginalized. In Egypt, it is high, medium. Now it is much more uh, stronger. And Monika Lindbeck, who is doing research on Egypt, she is, uh, she is also my uh, companion citizen from Norway. She is doing excellent research on the strength of conservatives who are now marching in to sort of redefine Islamic, for example, Khulalo, uh, and, and wanting to change it from the 2000s. In Syria, it is, uh, it is uh, high conservative. Uh, I think it is low probability for change towards less gendered citizenship after now the turmoil. Lebanon, it is very high. Political power is distributed along sectarian lines. And um, in Kuwait, well, I say it's medium. Sunni Shia sectarianism has strengthened after 2006, uh, following a, a new media, uh, media law. But I will show you more that very interesting th things are happening in Kuwait because I was there before I was in Qatar one week. I was two weeks in Kuwait in April. It's extremely interesting to go to the to the far parliament and see what the four women, first time female representatives, have done in only two years. Amazing, amazing lot of things they have done. I will try to write something about it, but this is really interesting what they have done in Kuwait in only two years. They are out of the parliament now. They were not re-elected. And I look at agents at reform. If, if I want to comment on, uh, on, uh, on Lina's, I would say, well, yes, Moza feminism, Yes, but I don't believe in that so much because it looks like it is more in, you know, speaking. But really, what the uh, what the state authorities support is what I call Victorian Islamist ideals of domesticated womanhood. I think this is the sort of they are sort of flashing out, you know, botox feminism. Maybe we can talk about it like that. I don't want to talk it, but you know, it, compared to Kuwait, there's nothing. Um, uh, hmm? Three minutes, okay. So I will just say a few words about how I, uh, if you want this, I can send it to you. You can write to me your email, I can send it. Uh, this is, and so I look here at the female citizenship outcome. How has, uh, how has female ref uh, family reform, which parts of family reform have we changed in these six, six states? And then I look at the female citizenship in general. Okay, so um, if I go back to the conclusions. Uh, 
I think consultations regarding family law reform have gained renewed salience throughout MENA since 2000. Ironically, contestations are less sharp after 2011 uprisings because they are enmeshed with what are presented as more important issues. Contemporary consultations related to family law reform reflect points of dissent and conflicts that exist before the 2011 uh, uprisings. These persist in times of political transition, although proponents and opponents invariably come to a demobilized phase where tolerance of diverse actors increases. This second thing is not me who's written. This is what we call the Bible of transitional theory in political science, which is written by uh, uh, O'Donnell, uh, Giacomo O'Donnell. I have the whole list in the paper. You can have it later. But it's very interesting to read what they write on theory, on transition, and their basic. Uh, uh, this was written in the mid 1980s, and they studied transitions in uh, South America and and uh, also in Eastern Europe. Uh, later, they did more research. But it's very interesting to see the Arab transitional phase through the theories we have on transitional theory. And in the course of transition, Arab female citizens will not necessarily get what they deserve, that is expanded citizenship, but they, what they are, or more probably others negotiate. So, seen within a state formation perspective, because I'm really interested in state formation more than democratization. I think these two are, are, are overlapping, but they are separate. Reforms related to family law in MENA reflect varied tracks which ruling authorities in MENA have chosen since establishment of modern territorial states, which is around 1920. So family law reform is thus as much part of the process of state formation in MENA as it is part of a process of democratization. And this is where law comes in, because law is so young, it's so, you know, it's so young, it's still in a baby stage, really, in the Middle East. If we talk about territorial states from 1920, it's only like 90 years old. If, uh, and the state system in Western Europe was uh, established, if we take a year, 1648, this is the Westphalian fort. I, this, I have only one picture to show. If family law in MENA is perceived as the last bastion, then female citizen MENA could be, in my opinion, the world's last colony. And this is also I have stolen from a title of a book. But, you know, we are always talked about the last colony, last colony, while really women in Arab countries, they are financially not the worst off. There are many, many worst off places in Africa which are economically much worse off. But legally, I think it's really strange that they have so little legal power, capacity. Look at this picture. The Qataris have forgotten that their women were heads of families for, you know, like centuries. And they put this on the new statistics. This is from September 2009. They did a survey in Qatar with the statistics bureau says, Oh, women support families. <gasps> what a revelation. You know, <laughs> women have supported their families, you know, like for hundreds and hundreds of years, also included in Qatar. But when they get it down on numbers, it's the household, uh, female headed households count like, uh, I think they found like 20%. I have the numbers. So it was like, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Okay, thank you.